Welcome to Yoga Wisdom, questions about how to live your yoga in daily life, answered by Integral Yoga founder, Sri Swami Satchidananda. A limited mind with a limited capacity cannot understand an unlimited spirit. So the mind can always do something within the, its level, within its capacity. That's why when we say, when we talk of understanding the spirit or realizing the spirit, the mind can never realize the spirit, but the, in that case, the mind should submit itself. The mind should subdue itself. And then there is a mindless state in that mindless state, you have a better understanding. That's why it should be understood without the mind. You follow my point, it's a bit delicate one. Because the mind is unlimited. The spirit is unlimited. Or the, is something like cosmic consciousness. Or God is unlimited. Mind is limited. To give an example, the sun has unlimited light. I'm not talking in a scientist's view. The scientists try to measure the light of the sun. But in our normal sense, the sun has an unlimited light. And our eyes have limited capacity. So our eyes can see a limited light within its capacity. If the eyes are turned towards the sun, the eyes get blurred and they even become blind because the eyes are trying to catch the unlimited light within, beyond its capacity. So the eyes lose themselves in that effort. Likewise, the mind can try to understand things that are within its capacity, but the moment it turns towards something which is greater, which is beyond its capacity, it loses itself there. It happens automatically. That is where the self, the individual self, loses himself unto God, we say. The individuality is mainly because of the limitedness of the mind. Once you tend towards God, you lose yourself completely, and losing means you are absorbed in that. You lose your individuality, but you become that completely. Why is there life? If what we want to reach is when there is no more life, when we are all God. Why oh. is there life in the first place? I see. 
Well, it is impossible to answer that question. <laughs> so that is why we uh, generally do not go to that state of becoming God or even uh, uh, coming to a cessation of the birth and death. Without going into those details, all that we are interested is to lead this life in a happy way, with all peace and joy. Then once that is achieved, then automatically the other things happen and all those things can be experienced and it cannot be expounded. So we need not bother about becoming God. Let us just become better citizens, better people, uh, I mean uh, happy people, living happily, giving happy to others. Let that be our aim to begin with. Because all those things, they happen automatically, whether we want it or not. And only when it happens, we will know why. Are we really losing something or really gaining something that can be experienced? No scripture has ever explained this question properly. What will happen when you lose yourself in God? Because it is an experience. The words have their own limitations to explain it. That's why most of the, see, take for example Buddhism or even yoga. We are, we are talking about yoga. Yoga and Buddhism, they are almost similar. Lord Buddha never said anything about afterlife. When we do not know how to live this present life, why should we bother about afterlife? That's all unnecessary now for us. We should know what should be done now to make us happy. After life and all these things, we will leave to the people who really spend some time in logical discussions and fighting around. There are hundreds of philosophies and hundreds of systems who fight for that. Let us not join that group and fight in the name of different philosophies. Let those people fight there. We will enjoy what is given to us. It's something like when a few people are hungry, they are not really, all of them are not really hungry. They seem to be hungry, but somebody brought some food. And the food is kept there. They all went round. And uh, immediately one scholarly person He's a, he knows a little bit of uh, medicine also, particularly you know, in the Ayurveda system. Each food is brought into one category of, say, rajasic or sattvic or tamasic. So he said, what is this? Oh, is it eggplant? Eggplant, what did I read? Eggplant is tamasic. Hmm. Where from this rice comes? Is it Texas rice or Basmati? He started questioning. 
what rice is this, what plant is this, what quality is this. The other man, who prepared it? It tastes, smells a little this way, where it is prepared out of electric oven or gas oven. And a third man thought in terms of money-wise. Uh, how much would it cost? <laughs> Is it cheap food or very expensive food? These three people were discussing about these things. The third man has consumed half of the food by the time. <laughs> he was really hungry. He didn't bother to ask all these questions. He started immediately eating. By the time he, these people came to a conclusion, the food was gone. So those who are really eager to live a life, a happy life, will not bother about these unwanted discussions. Let us come to the <laughs> practical side, instead of philosophical or theoretical. At least, uh, not that I force everybody to do that, but those who really want to have that philosophical discussion, there are better scholarly people. Uh, they spend much longer time in that. I would suggest people who are interested in such things can go to that group and have a little taste of that also. The Advaita, Dvaita, Visistha Advaita, the one or many or ten, how to use, what language to use, where to sit, how to prostrate, All these are rather taking away from our path. We should come to the direct problem, the immediate problem. What is right in front of us? What can we do tomorrow? What can we tonight do tonight when we go back? Is there anything that we could do? It will be more fruitful if we think of those things and then adjust our lives accordingly. Yes. How does yoga? Well, yoga is out and out a psychoanalysis system. It analyzes the mind. The entire yoga begins with the mind and its modifications and different classifications. And then how to have a hold over them, how to control them, how to create the proper modifications in our mind. In, in practicing yoga, you become a psychoanalyst yourself. You become a psychiatrist for yourself. You know the way yourself. You need not allow somebody to handle your mind. Whereas you look to your own mind, analyze it properly, and to gradually gain control over it. You, you can go deep into your subconscious mind. See every thought form clearly. Yoga is out and out a psychological one. It's a psychology. I've read that there are some psychoanalysts who claim that this kind of 
in what way? I don't uh, know. Uh, of course, uh, it can be dangerous if a person uh, does this without proper understanding or proper purity of mind. For example, by certain practices, if he just goes directly into his own subconscious mind and if he can project it as he wants and if he gains control over his subconscious mind and develops the will, he can project that mind onto other minds. He can handle the other subconscious minds and he can create harm to others and thus harm himself. Because mind is a powerful instrument. If not rightly used, it can bring forth a lot of troubles. But that happens in, in almost every method. If you do not handle things properly, if you do not know how to use, you get into difficulty. Even external forces, steam, electricity, water, gas. If you do not control the gas properly and light it properly and cook your food, if there is any leakage, you will get suffocated. So the mind is a powerful instrument. Very, very powerful. That's why many people who gain a little control over the mind misuse it and we call them the black magicians or the evil doers who cast spells. It's again the black side of yoga. So one should be careful about it. There is danger in everything. Swamiji, what causes the Kundalini to get roused up or to rise? Well, of course, Kundalini gets roused up by several ways. Even by just deep meditation, the Kundalini gets roused up. There are certain violent methods according to the Hatha Yoga practices. But whatever it be, the idea is the dormant force, the psychic force in you should ascend to the different centers and then reach to a height where you more or less transcend the mental state. It should happen without that no communion with the God in you is possible. But there are various safe methods. For example, what we call in Raja Yoga, Japa or meditation, they are safe, not violent. Because of the rousing of the Kundalini is so gentle, something like you wake up a patient, a very weak patient. See, you slowly go and shampoo his leg and gently wake him up. He won't get agitated. You can't wake him up suddenly. But a strong man, you can even give him a kick. See? Nothing will go wrong. Is it not so? 
So the same way, if the body is quite weak, and if the Kundalini is roused up by gentle, say, devotional side, it won't have a very bad effect on the body. But if the rousing up is a bit quicker and sudden, and if the body is not strong enough, it will always have a bad effect on the body. It will derange the body. So that is why in the yoga practices, it is more or less a direct approach. Even with Raja Yoga, it is a direct approach. It's not so violent as Hatha Yoga, but it is a direct approach. But whereas in the devotional side, you just imagine God outside in a picture or in a form, and you repeat prayers, you slowly, you, you make use of the emotional side. There it is more gentle. So even though the body is a bit weak, it's all right. Thanks for listening to this Integral Yoga Multimedia Podcast. We hope you'll subscribe. For more information on Sri Swami Satchidananda and Integral Yoga, please visit us online at integralyoga.org.